0: You're listening to Key Conversations for Leaders. This is episode number 24. Welcome, everybody. In today's episode, we're going to be discussing how we perceive what we believe with Dr. Susie Siegel. We'll be covering why willpower doesn't work, the power of locus mindset, the core responsibility of leaders, and much, much more. It's the simple things that we do every day that determines our success. It's the routines, the rituals, the little decisions that we make and the conversations that we have on a daily basis that build on each other to create momentum towards our vision. That's what this show is about. Better conversations for better leaders. Hey, everybody, and welcome to Key Conversations for Leaders. I'm your host, John Ryan, and today we have a very special guest, Dr. Susie Siegel. Susie is an attorney, business professor, and entrepreneurship coach holding an MBA, a law degree, as well as a doctorate in leadership and management. As a researcher, she spent the last decade researching locus of control and locus control psychology and is the creator of the locus mindset. Today, we're going to be exploring the locus of control. What is it? why do we need it, and how we can use it to improve our mindset and our resilience and ultimately our success. So welcome to the show, Susie. Great to have you here.
1: Thank you so much, John. I'm excited to be here.
0: Awesome. Thank you. I want to know if you could start out by sharing with us a little bit to our listeners, you know, what is the locus of control and how did you first become interested in it?
1: Yeah, great question. So yeah, what is locus of control? Some of you might be listening and thinking, oh, I know this one, or I've heard of it, or I'm not sure. So in 1954, psychologist Dr. Julian Rotter put forth the theory of locus, location of control. And it refers to the degree to which we believe and perceive that the results and the rewards and that everything in our life is the result of our decisions, choices versus external forces, powerful others, luck and chance. And this is a great topic right now as we look at the pandemic and then post pandemic coming out of it and thinking about how much in life is really within our control versus the degree to which we perceive the outcomes and the choices we make because of things. So that's locus of control. And he said people tend to have more of an internal where they believe they're, you know, they're more responsible, they have more agency and control over their lives. That's why it's internal versus external, it's controlled by other things. And you know, some people believe they're just kind of at the whim of luck and chance. And I began looking at this because I saw patterns showing up in my legal practice with law clients. I saw patterns showing up with my business students, with my entrepreneurs, as well as in my own life. As human beings, we look at patterns, we look for clues, right? We don't always know what causes something, but we can tell the effects. And I started to see certain things and I thought, This is an area I want more control of over my life and I would like my clients to feel more in control of theirs and my students. And let's see if there's something to this locus of control. And then through that research, we'll talk about in a minute, I discovered what I would tell you is where does that lie? Where is that found? And how do we use that for our benefit? And how can we all have an internal locus of control?
0: And so that's the 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 goal really to have more resilience, a more positive mindset, and better experience in life is to bring that locus of control inside. Is that is that really the answer?
1: Yes. And you know, you, you think about people in life, you, think about if you ever heard somebody say, you know, life happens for me, not to me. And when I took a risk, things went better. And I'm resilient and I, I'm not an overwhelmed person, and I have, you know, great resilience and I, I'm courageous, and you think. Why are some people like that? And, and some people say, oh, that wouldn't go that way for me. I'm afraid to take a risk. I might lose something, right? And those are very real. And I, I struggled with that because I'm somebody who tends to be very, you know, risk averse by my natural nature. And I've had to shift and realize it really is how we believe and perceive and where our beliefs and perceptions, because that's how we change it. I don't think there are some people walking around the world feeling like, Oh, well, some people have control over their lives and others just randomly got that card taken away from them. We all have more control over how we respond to things, but it happens at such a quick automatic level that it feels out of control. And it was like that for me. Some things I said, oh, I have great control over this, but other things just felt way out of control for me, way out of control with emotions, negative thought patterns, beliefs about the world, my potential, my worth. And that's why I thought I want to be able to help people understand what this is and how they can make it work for them in a way that feels natural, that isn't like fighting the grain.
0: So it sounds like the nature of locus control is not binary. It's not either internal or external. And it's going to vary based on the situation you're looking at at that moment in time in that area of life. Is that is that fair to say? Yeah,
1: I mean, that's a great point, John, because Dr. Rotter would say it kind of would be more, you know, some people are more external versus internal. What I would suggest is that, We are all controlling how we perceive, believe, decide, react to things. We're just not aware of it. In that regard, it's like some situations we get in and we might think, oh, this is going the way we want. We feel like we're in control of it. And then why is it we get into other situations, whether it's relationships or finances or new jobs, and it just feels like things are spinning? There's something going on much deeper than it just being a rational assessment. And that's the locus of control is how do I get a stronger locus mindset, a stronger internal locus, so I can overcome, I can come out of anxiety and overwhelm, I can have clear, focused, purpose, decision making, and I can see things that build resilience, they don't break me down, they build me up.
0: And, and I think what you're saying is it's not a decision. You're not going from moment to moment saying, oh, I'll put you in charge of my response, my situation or me. These are really, as you would say, non-conscious processes that are happening. Where, where does that develop? Like the tendency, I heard like the degree to which, like in general, are you feeling it more? Like, is there a developmental process where we develop and internalize that or externalize responsibility? Like how does that work from a developmental perspective?
1: Sure. Great question. So from the developmental perspective, we think about where our beliefs and perceptions, like how do we form beliefs and perceptions? So actually, you know, you, you kind of hit on it. Our very earliest and strongest beliefs and perceptions about ourselves, the world, other people, life in general, happen when we're very young. And the reason they do isn't because you know, a lot of people hear that and think, Oh, here we go. We're going to blame the parents. Not at all. But when you come into the world, you're a clean slate. You're a blank iPod, right? You got nothing other than the fear of loud noises and falling. That's all you have, right? That's what psychologists have shown. And what happens is something has to go into our brains. And we'll talk a minute about the two parts of how the mind works. Something has to go in that helps us shape our beliefs, experiences, and perceptions for survival. And whatever got there first and that has been there a long time is very strong. So that's why children learn new languages so easily, because it goes right into their autonomic processing system. It literally, you know, or a movie, ever when a kid can just say a whole line of a movie and they don't even have to memorize it, it's just like they know. So they're much more neuroplastic, much more malleable. So that's why developmentally, from when we're zero to five, maybe zero to seven, the stuff that got there during that time, you know, if we had beliefs about money, if our parents had beliefs about things, if the world, we didn't distinguish between what was our belief and what was people's beliefs around us. It just went in as data. And if we never go back and refresh that data file or decide what do we want instead, because that may not be working for where we want to go, then we're going to operate from that point, and that's when things feel out of control. But well, to your question, when I began this research, I thought as a business person, as a lawyer, as an academic, as someone with, like you said, you know, few degrees, few graduate degrees, I could analyze this and find it in my brain because I've you know, got a really good conscious brain. But when you look at neuroscience and you read things like Daniel Kahneman's Thinking Fast and Slow, you recognize we are a dual processing system. So I have my little metaphor here. We're a compass and a magnet. Our minds work like this. And the compass is like five to 10%. This is our rational conscious mind the one that sets goals that it says come on i just got to get over this or i'm just not going to eat that second piece of cake it's the conscious rational brain it's 5 to 10% and that's so hard for people to get it was hard for me and then you have the subconscious automatic processing system and this is 90 to 95% and where am i getting these numbers you can go on my website you look at the research and resources and i'm giving you a range a lot of people would say 5 and 95 but i'll even broaden it a bit The bottom line is this is the majority of the patterns and programs, and this is why things feel out of control. So when you are, this part of the brain will attract or repel what is in alignment with it. So that's why as you move through the world and you set a goal that you're going to be financially wealthy, or you're going to have a great job or a great relationship, there might be beliefs and perceptions that are here that fight against that, that we're not even aware of, but we see patterns show up. And we go, something must be here that is drawing me to unavailable or abusive or dramatic people in my life or situations. It isn't external to me. It isn't these people. It's I'm finding myself in this place for a reason. So once you embrace this, the work we do in Locus Mindset is with this part of the brain because this gets changed.
0: So, just if I can explore a little bit on the the dramatic, like the people who yeah. sometimes feel they have this attraction to bringing dramatic, that bringing the drama, and all the drama seems to find them. Yeah. So it's not a compass issue. They're not seeking out to have that intention, but the magnet is such a beautiful uh, analogy or metaphor because it implies that you're attracting to it or repelling it, which is the two functions of a magnet, depending on the polarity there. So, how does it get programmed? Like, it seems like no part of anyone would ever say, I really want the drama in my life. Like that's not what people desire. How does that, how does that work? Yeah.
1: It's a great question. Okay. It's a great example too, because yeah, I don't think many people are walking around thinking, I want to have conflict with friends. I want to fight with my partner. I want to have all this stuff at work, right? Because sure. they come home, they're just upset about it, but it keeps happening so many times and there's a lot of different reasons and i just want to say to the audience too is we may not always know the trigger because a lot of this work is is just trying to figure out the patterns and then we're going to replace them with something else but i am a curious person i'm kind of an investigatory person you know and so i like to kind of figure out what might have gone in just so i can reverse engineer the outcome and many times what you find and i have relatives like this in high drama situations where, you know, they get really close to somebody and then that person betrays them, there's a great psychological theory called the Cartman drama triangle, victim, rescuer, persecutor, and we kind of go around this triangle without even realizing it. We go rescue people and they need our help, but we, they don't really need to be rescued, but we got to look, look out for them. And then, you know, we get upset that they're taking us for granted. Now we become the persecutor and then the victim, and this is what happens is something early on in their life signaled that that would create safety, security, love, and belonging. Because at the very core, human beings, we're more similar than we are different. We want to be loved, accepted. We want to feel like we're enough and that we're never going to be left alone. And so something in there went, okay, I'm seeing this happen in the world around me. And this is either a way that people get attention, they they interact with people, or this happened to mom and dad, and they, they tell me they love me. So love means this. So something went in that said this is familiar, and your brain will always choose familiar over healthy because it codes familiar as safe. So even though you might consciously say this is unhealthy, this is causing anxiety attacks, this is all this, this brain goes, but this is familiar, and we've linked this to safety and love, and that's what you see. And my, and then you have other people that that is not there come from, they will just totally repel that. They'll just say, that's not, I don't want to deal with these people. And other people, they get sucked in. So you see this a lot. I have a lot of friends, not a lot, but maybe a handful of them. They're always in the same, like they can call me and say, I just had this conflict with so-and-so. And I'm like, that's the exact same thing that happened with this person. And it usually has to do with, they get close to them and then they feel betrayed and you're just repeating cycles. So this happens with money people say, I just can't, you know, like they'll make a little bit more and then all of a sudden they're back broke again, or they just can't break out of a certain income level. But then when you talk to them, they've turned down six offers because, well, that won't work because, so you just find that we, we always come up with a reason for why it happens. But sometimes it's when you start to see a pattern when you see things repeat more than twice, there's probably something down here, pulling that forward, pulling that down.
0: So you need the the multiple data points to imply a line, to get a direction, to get the pattern, and that gives you a clue that there's something beneath the surface in the non-conscious, unconscious mind that we need to explore and really replace it with. Because we can, we can try to extrapolate what the story is and it looks like you've done that thinking to figure out what would cause that. The familiarity, I love, it's kind of like the language thing. You said when you become primed as that open book, the empty iPod, as you said, which is such a great analogy, it's not programmed. You put in the program from the environment and then you have that familiarity and then you kind of recreate that over and over and over again. Very cool. Something came up uh, and looking through your website, um, locusmindset.com, I saw the resources and the references related to a lot of your work you have. And, and one which I love is uh, Games People Play by Eric Byrne. Do, do some of the you know transactional analysis games come into the work or do you analyze that in terms of the payoff and the victim and the
1: persecutor
0: and, and, and all that?
1: Oh, yeah. So games people play, it's so funny. When I first studied transactional analysis, this is back in 2009, 2008, 2009, um, that was kind of the first foray into this thought about the dual mind. And I say the dual mind carefully because it's really not like, I mean, it's separate, but they're integrated, right? And really, it's the whole system. But transactional analysis will talk about just because you see a transaction happen, that's not what's really causing it. That's not what's really going on. You know, the yes, but game, if you know Dr. Burns' work, or OK, well, this happens. It just always happens to me. Like if something's going to go wrong, it's going to happen to me. Again, that's the magnet, right? And so the problem is alignment. It's, it's like you know, if, if I have something up here that I want, but I've got a program that's down here, like if I want to make more money and I want to be wealthy, but somewhere in my childhood or in my life, I've got the belief and perception that rich people are awful or crooks or greedy, that's going to pull. And I'm not going to be aware of that. I'm not going to walk around and go, well, I've got these dual beliefs. Because the point of this, and you you hit it right on, when kids are younger, like when we're zero to probably six, five or six, our brain waves, our brain hasn't developed. So we're operating more in a more downloadable state, right? Alpha, delta, theta, we're not in that beta thought, like conscious mind state. That's gonna be important because when we talk about how do we get change here, we actually work with the lower brainwave states and people are listening to this going, is it hypnotherapy? And not really, <laughs> kind of based on the same science of it. But the reason is that's when things just drop in they don't get audited or bounced out by the conscious brain so when we get older and we think okay now i'm going to willpower my way out of this you don't do it because the problem formed before you even had that critical rubric it's down here and it's associative this is why you can listen to a song and feel an emotion and not even want to think about that or you smell something and you're taken back in time Our perceptual filters, our eyes, our nose, our ears, taste, all of that is connected to those memories and emotions that are down here for our survival. But we don't want to just survive. We want to thrive.
0: I love it. Thank you for for sharing all that. I, I was just kind of thinking a little bit the empowerment nature and becoming aware of the programming and what the magnet is doing is such a huge part. It's the 95% of our experience, you know, give or take a couple percentiles here and there. Is there ever a a time where it's okay to have the locus of control externally, or is it just comfortable for us to do that sometimes?
1: Yeah, no, that's a good question. So that question I hear a lot, and I think maybe what we want to ask is, are there... You know, people hear this and what happens is there are some people that immediately go to well, Susie, this can't be right because we're not in control of everything. Like, how am I in control of COVID or how am I in control of the economy? Right. And there are some schools of thought that will say, you know, in some way, because we're all interconnected, we're all responsible for the energy that's out there. and and, And that's probably true to some extent. It's true enough to be true. But for our own personal lives we didn't consciously want this. So I'm not going to say we're in control of everything that happens around us, but what we do have control over, which is so hard. And I, and I own this because I see this in my own life. Like, you know, if I get a blood test back and I'm out of range in one of the areas or something, I immediately can notice my mind go to the worst, like, Oh no, here we go. Right. That isn't based on rational reality. It's based on a fear down here from when I was younger, and when I got sick, and you worry because you don't have the tools. So your brain sort of has this cellular memory. So no, I would say whether we are aware of it or not, we're we're all creating the perceptions and beliefs we have based on the past experiences and the pattern matching. So we all have an internal locus. It's just we may not be aware of it. We might be thinking it's something else or something triggered it. When you really understand the control you have, you understand that you know, I mean, again, I'm a person of faith. So I do believe that God works in our lives and through our lives and is ultimately in control, but we have free will. What you really understand is that you do control what you are doing with the things that happen in life. And that's what I'm talking about by feeling more in control. So it rains outside. I'm not in control of the rain, but I'm in control of what I wear. Do I take an umbrella? Do I leave extra time on the road? Do I let this get me down? And it's really owning the reaction and the response and not outsourcing your emotions to other people that allow you to change. And eventually you don't even get triggered. You build new systems of resilience so that, you know, you can handle things in life and we don't fall apart. And this is a tough time for people. You know, I'm talking to people who aren't even necessarily exposed or worried about COVID, even though it's serious and it's real and it's very awful. I mean, nobody, you know, want it. And, you know, my heart breaks for those that have suffered and died from it. So you have people, though, that, they're, but, they're, but they're freaking out about other things, right? Because there's so much fear and anxiety in the world, and they're concerned. So this really helps us restore that. And it gives you simple systems that work. It's not just like we're talking right now, and people are listening, going, this all sounds great. Wish I could do it. I know. The conventional way, I would tell you it won't work, because it's too much reliant on this part of the mind. And that's not where the problem is. It's like trying to get a sliver out and the wrong finger. You're not going to get it out because it doesn't live here. It lives here. So that's the good news. If you've been trying stuff and it hasn't been working and you haven't been working with your autonomic system, one subconscious brain, you're in luck because we can do that. There's a system that works and it's so simple because it actually goes here. It doesn't try to fight this.
0: I love how all your models are coming together. Conscious, non-conscious, system one, system two, autonomic nervous system. It's amazing. So yeah, your depth of knowledge and, and your Different models you have—they're all running concurrently. I, I can certainly see that. So when someone is getting into that, well, that's all fine and well. But I've tried to make changes before. I've—I've I've used my willpower. I would suspect that your willpower falls into more of the compass. Is that—is that correct? It's trying yeah, that's to, right. yeah.
1: Yeah, there's so, a couple of books I would recommend. Um, but Dr. Benjamin Hardy wrote "Willpower Doesn't Work," and then Roy Baumeister wrote a book "Willpower." And they'll talk about how it's a finite resource, okay? And you, it'll work temporarily. Like if you're at a party and somebody comes by with, you know, bacon or, or chocolate, you can go, oh, no, thank you. But you burn up some energy doing it. And that's why at the end of the day, when people are just tired and they come home and they open up the fridge and it's just, right? Or if you, if you try to diet for a while and then you go to eat and you didn't plan your dinner, you end up just grabbing stuff. It's a finite resource and it, it only works temporarily. It's like a stopgap, but it's there because there are times evolutionarily in life we're moving through the world and you know uh, we're having an emotional reaction. Let's say someone passed away or we lost something and then we gotta show up for work. So we have to have this little temporary governor that keeps the emotion in, but it can't stay there because it'll destroy us if we hold it in and then it'll pop out, right? It'll explode and generally, you know, that's a mess with people. So you want to be able to not have to rely on your willpower. And that's where people sometimes I, say, I just need more willpower. And I'm like, no, we need to just switch the association because, you know, this is going to be a weird, I'm trying to say it in a non-gross way, but if people have ever gotten really sick, right. And whatever you ate before you, you got sick, boy, that association, you probably don't want that food anymore. Right. True. So it's not like that per se, but imagine how, you know, cause your brain goes, Ooh, I, that is, I associated with not great. And that's how we can do things. We can begin to create positive associations and overwrite what's here so that you don't even have to go to willpower. And then you actually feel in control. You don't feel like you're trying to, you know, you're holding the steering wheel and it's not working. It actually feels like you've got this
0: what what have you found in the research about how long it takes because it's not about the short-term willpower it's about really changing the associations the connections inside the magnet yep. how long does it take to literally have that stick
1: okay so i'm gonna talk from the research because i'm glad you asked that question so i mean i can all of the the evidence is on my site and and i'm going to just start quoting stuff or referring to stuff but some you know you heard the conventional thing people will say a habit is formed in 30 to 60 days right and and there really is no research that shows that although they will say that when somebody does something repeatedly what happens is the brain okay system one right says well we better automate this because this is obviously very important to the person and we don't want to take up this conscious brain that we need to solve like tips at a restaurant or math problems or conscious things, we gotta automate it. It's the same thing that happens in anything in life. When you get dressed, when you brush your teeth, when you drive to work, things are just automatic, okay? So that's why after a certain period of time, it becomes more automated. So what is that period of time? Sometimes it depends on how strong that neural pathway is. When you look at the neuroscience, they can actually find neurons firing when certain emotions or decisions happen. And so if something is really deep and really ingrained, it can take a little longer. And I would reference you if you Google the backwards bike example, this is a great example where German engineers reverse engineered the steering of a bike and they told people when you turn right it goes left, left it goes right. Try to ride the bike. So they're not hiding it. They're telling people no one could do it. They couldn't even get it two feet on the stage. And it took nine months for an adult to relearn how to ride a backwards bike. So there's an example of, we know it's backwards. We know right goes left, left goes right, but it doesn't do anything because that neural pathway was so ingrained. So it's not identical, but it's a similar analogy. So some people have said, depending on how you work with the brain, like there are hypnotherapists that can get change very quickly because they can go in and really work on the beliefs here so that there's nothing to link to. So I've heard you know, people demonstrate that after a few sessions of hypnotherapy, even their, their patients that were in post-traumatic stress had new associations, okay? Other times, it would take longer. Um, so there really isn't an agreement on what is the magic number that I have found. Generally, it's 60 days if you do something continuously, because again, the brain is going to automate it um but after that they've talked about three months six months it really does depend on how deep that pattern is but the point is if we can get in and get deep now that's if you just rely on repetition alone if you just rely on repetition alone then your brain is going to go how long is it going to take for me to adopt this habit versus the other one and that can be an individual thing right uh you know with COVID, i think about this now we're going into i don't even know what month four or five so People have really developed new habits. I've talked to people that have said, well, wow, we don't eat out as much, we're, we're cooking in more, and we'll probably keep doing that. So you might see some businesses close that are even able to come back because people's habits have changed. Okay The reason why the system locus mindset, the thrive, we will talk about that in a minute, but the thrive framework works is repetition, R for thrive, is only one of the elements we use many more. because I want things faster. Like business people want results quickly. Yes, we want to see change and we want it to stick. But we want it to stick and we want to see change in a more prompt way than not. And that's what the framework does.
0: I, I think I did see. was it a TED Talk with the bicycle with the reverse engineer as well? I think
1: well? he did a TED Talk, but then I also just saw a YouTube video. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, amazing. And I think it would be totally very hard because of the amount of programming and the, the association, as you said, in the mind that says, no, when you turn the handlebars this way, you go that way. And to rewire that would take a long time. That's, that's really. Yeah. Writing a mic is
1: ideomotor, meaning like, so that, so, you know, your nervous system, and we'll talk about that in Thrive, handwriting, when you handwrite something, it goes right in because it's an ideomotor activity, engages your nervous system in the learning. So we're not just a mind and a body walking around that just happened to be, no, it's all connected. So when you learn a dance move, a sequence, you know, some people, they're like, oh, this just comes naturally to me. But there's a part of the brain that has that seared in, right? Mm -hmm. So that's the point is whether it's riding a bike, the same searing happens with emotional reactions, conclusions about what this person's behavior means to me. That's another thing I learned too, John, is most of the things that really cause us to be emotionally upset, negative, sad, depressed, angry. It isn't so much the event. It's what we have decided it means to us and means about us and for us, another person. So you have a fight with somebody and it's not even the event, it's this means they don't like me, value me, respect me, or love me. Uh, This person didn't do this, which means they didn't clean up the sink, so they probably don't respect or care about me. Why is that important? Because it goes to that fundamental human thing. Now, most people aren't self-aware enough to know that, so they'll just blame the other person for being disrespectful and not listening and finishing the dishes, right? It has nothing to do with that. It has to do with what it connects to. Doesn't mean you shouldn't do the dishes, but you don't need to have a major blow up. You can deal with, you could get the motion of it and just figure out another plan. You know, Uh, a good example I'll give real quick is, you know, for a while I would get upset with my husband We wouldn't lock the door from, uh, you know, the garage to the house. And now it's all locked, multiple lock, you know, whatever. But for a while, I'd get upset about that because it went to feelings of what? Safety, security, right? Primal feelings. I didn't uh, aware of that. And then one day I just said, wait a second. It's totally within my responsibility lock the door too. I'll just lock it. But I was outsourcing, like, you won't want to keep me safe. You don't want to protect me, which goes to love. So I was like stacking a bunch of them versus I can lock the door. Now, the second I did that, he locks it every time because wow. I, it's just so weird. Like once you come out of that, that, that back and forth drama, it doesn't have any place. And I always check it because that's what we do. But I'm like, wow, it had nothing to do with the door even though in that moment, it felt like it had everything to do with the door and him. It had everything to do with my own safety and security. And I thought, what am I complaining about? Can I, can I physically lock the door? Yeah, done. Oh, problem solved. But I disconnected it from the meaning, from the threat to my safety.
0: That's gonna be so freeing to to not have to blame and and put the locus of control on other people, but to really bring it inside and have yeah. that empowerment.
1: And but. your relationships get better, your health gets better, you feel better. You don't feel like you're walking around waiting for the next emotion to take you in the wind.
0: Thank right? you for that sharing means- that. Yeah. That's I'm feeling more, more I'm feeling better right now. Just you're as a result of that. Right <laughs> <it's- laughs>
1: difficulty isn't going to happen, but you develop systems. So when it does, number one, you go, I know what's happening. I'm clicking into this. Now, how do I shift and, and where are my tools and resources versus people stay in that for days, weeks, and then it's just an explosion.
0: So putting it back in your court and what can I do to resolve the situation and not make it mean other things, it sounds like that's, got to be part of what you mean by the locus mindset what are some other characteristics of what it means to have a, a locus mindset
1: sure so i think it's the self-awareness of how the brain works how the mind works and that's why we talk about that in the first lesson or two of the thrive course and the reason i call it thrive and it's locus right but uh it's an acronym for the the system i just try to make it very simple here's six steps do them every night you know like that way you'll get change and people find that refreshing because they're like just give me the solution i don't know how you are john but you know there's this kind of stereotype out there they say well women just want to vent and talk about a problem but men want it solved and there's a kernel of truth that I want a solution like if I share a problem with somebody I just want them to solve it that's the whole reason I'm taking the time to share it right I don't want them to say oh thank you for sharing It's so valid I mean just fix it right so that's what Thrive does but what I would say is a couple things one is being aware that you are more than your memories, than your emotions, than your previous behavior, and be willing to disassociate, to disconnect your identity from your behavior. A lot of times what holds people back from really delving into the locus mindset is they say, wait a second, you're telling me I, I have to change aspects of my personality, and you know what? That's me. I'm going to do me. Well, Dr. Hardy wrote, personality isn't permanent, and he talks about not even our personality, like our personality doesn't drive our behavior, experiences that happen shape our personality. So if you can be open to the fact that your identity is deeper and more important than any behavior, speech pattern, personality tests, he doesn't like those, then you can free yourself of the fear that if you make change, you're going to lose yourself because you're not. You're, you are more than all those. And that was a big realization for me because I had a lot of people in my life that say, oh, you're just great the way you are. Susie, we just love this about you. That's just you. Don't change. And you go, oh, wow, I'm loved for that. I can't change. And what does that do? When certain aspects don't work, because I'm not saying everything about everybody is bad, not at all. But when certain things don't work, it, it causes you to almost identify with them. And what you identify with controls you. What you disidentify with, you gain control of. So that's the second thing. And then the third thing I, I think is the awareness that you can, you have to begin to take a, almost imagine you have a Polaroid camera. And as you go through life, you're taking a snapshot of what's going well. And where do I see patterns repeat of pain? And we usually know this. I mean, if you ask people what isn't going well in life, <laughs> you know, it comes up Sure. Okay. and say, that's okay. That's good. Now we have things we know we can focus on and help with. We actually have a directional coordinate here, right? And say, well, what, what appears to be happening? I don't ask why questions, because if you ask why, your rational brain will give you a reason. Well, it's because of that. Just say, what has happened? And what might have happened in my past that allows me to see the world this way? And what happens right before I have this reaction? Like we're really trying to investigate this. And then what do I want instead? Well, I want to be calm. I want to be resilient. I want to. Okay, great. Because your brain will always sort two-thirds negative to one-third positive. That's survival. Neuroscientists will tell you that's built for survival. So it's not enough to just go in and say, I want to get rid of this and this and this. Great. What do you want to put in instead? Well, I want this gone. Yeah, but if you remove it and you don't put something else in, what's going to fill it up? The same type of worry and anxiety, right? That's why you can be going along. I'll be running along and everything's going great. and All of a sudden oh, I wonder if this could happen. It's your brain's way of saying, oh, we better audit for risk. So we have to take a bigger control of that. And then working with the Thrive course. I mean, this is not a system you need to, you know, I tell people, obviously this isn't like counseling. This isn't psychology. I can't make any guarantees or claims. I'm not licensed in that. But what these are is there's six pieces of research-based mind development work of how to go in and make change. And all of them have research and science behind them so that you can develop a system. It's a framework, a synthesis that works. And then you start to see change and you're like, wow, this is really possible. I didn't realize it.
0: Wow. That's awesome. And, and so comprehensive. And it sounds like you have a real focus on application, not just theory. Here's where it came from. Here's how we know it works. And here's how you use it so you can get results right away. Is there is there one thing that you think most people need to start doing more than others or does it really just kind of depend on where their challenges well, lie I, I
1: think i think understanding how to work with this part of the mind and not fight it up here right and what do i mean by that is allowing um is explaining a way. okay so if you say to somebody where is it that you want to work on in your life and let's say they say well i i have i have struggles with you know my family we're always in the same conversation but you know what I know that that's because blah, 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 suspend the desire to justify and just say, okay, I'm not saying to you that the whole world is your fault or responsible, but I'm asking you to look at the fact that this is bothering and triggering you means you have control to change the feeling. So even if you knew that person was never going to change their behavior, if you had a way to engineer something within you that that didn't cause that, would you want that? Oh, Yeah. And we know it's possible because, you know, you know, I were talking about this. You ever have somebody that says, oh, that person really bugs me. They get under my skin. And you're like, I know them. They don't bother me at all. But then vice versa with someone else, it bugs you, but not somebody else. So I would say the toughest part is understanding that our emotional reactions and triggers is this brain saying we're not safe. We're not loved. We're not enough. We might be abandoned. And it doesn't mean other people get to treat you a certain way or have to change, you know, they may have to change too, but let's first stabilize your reaction so you can move through the world and you don't always end up in panic and cortisol and stress and all that thing, right, taking migraine medicine and all that. And then we can address how do you respond. More times than not, we are more in control of how we show up. That's leadership, that's our own personal leadership and how we, control a conversation, even the energy we bring into the room. And that's hard for people because they want to immediately point at why that's happening versus how can I shift so I feel better and to know you're worth it. You know, you, everyone is worth doing this work, getting more control over life and taking a hard look. And I wish I could tell you it's just a matter of flipping a switch, but these systems will work. It's just we've spent a lot of time trying to work here and people are frustrated. And they're sick of, let's just say, traditional talk therapy that doesn't go beyond anything else. that just talks about the problem, talks about the problem, that diagnoses them with stuff and doesn't move forward. Now, again, there may be people, I mean, I'm not saying there isn't diagnosis. You have to. But when you're working with patterns of human behavior, it usually is pretty simple to go back and think, okay, this is tapping into one of those foundational things. What do you want instead? And know that you can do that. Second quick thing. I will encourage everyone to look at the research on memory reconsolidation. Why do I say this? Because many times we believe our memories are as accurate as our as our thoughts as which are both inaccurate. But when you actually look at research around memory, in fact the law is saying we don't even like to have witness memory testimony in court because it's unreliable. Every time you access a memory it shifts, it changes like a file in your computer based on your emotion. You don't know that. You think it's actually being accessed, and you're adding, and you're adding to, and putting it away. But you're not. And so those memories only exist, those deep ones, because there was a strong emotion attached. That usually went to survival. People have lived their whole life making decisions based on prior events, and said, "Well, I want to learn from the past." Again, kernel of truth, but they let that dictate how they go moving forward. So I think it's important for us to be aware of this. And then people will move at different paces, but simply by being aware of how the brain works, the two systems, the compass, the magnet, locus of control, and memory, I would tell you that's you're like 60, 70% there. Because most people they'll never even go there. They'll just blow through life thinking they're thinking when they're really remembering, believing they're making choices based on you know ration and reason when it's emotion, association, and fear. And and they'll keep repeating patterns, like Groundhog Day. Exactly.
0: I love it. Wow, I love how you just tied all of those things together and, and really forced us to look at, okay, if we're perceiving the world in a filtered way, and our magnet is guiding that, and then we're also perceiving our memories in a filtered way, then really, we have to bring the locus in control and really make some decisions about what do we want to do going forward instead of being reactionary so proactive versus reactive as um, it sounds like part of the theme as well
1: yeah and you're going to change your perceptual filters so the very things that you pick up on will be different because you'll have different different things will be important to this brain right it won't be scanning and scouring for the negative the suspicion the ne- you know the threat it will you, you're always going to have that that's survival so i'm not going to tell you that you'll be walking down a dark street it'll be dangerous you'll be like everything's fine but I'm talking about when it's not useful, when you're in a situation where you don't need to be doing that. But instead, you'll be attracting opportunity and calm and flexibility. And well, maybe I can see this from different perspectives. And you know, yeah, this person got upset at me, but that doesn't mean that I'm not valuable as a person. You know, All of a sudden, things shift. I've seen this in my own life where I, I, I would make decisions based on fear based on these scenarios that would never happen, I can imagine some great risk management scenarios and I'd actually believe they were possibilities but the reality is if you operate from that you're never going to go where you want to go here you're never going to get your goals because you're always going to be risk manager so you have to hold space for both and say well what is it that I might still need to make sure my safety is taken care of like locking the door and now I don't need to play out all these scenarios that can happen. I can focus on something else instead. That's hard for people because we like to be black, white. We don't like to hold space for two things and then have to decide moving forward.
0: True, you have to be in the mix. You have to be present and really pay attention there. Is there, if you could have a conversation with all the leaders that are out there, what would be one message you would like them to, to walk away with?
1: Yeah, absolutely. That the most important thing you can do is work on yourself. So. I believe for leaders and leadership development, I teach graduate leadership students that it, it is a journey. It is a process of self discovery. It's like a journey to the center of yourself. And your professional growth, your advancement, your career, your life, what, whatever it is, will never outpace your personal development. So, working on yourself, reading, you know, not self help books like in the traditional sense, but reading things that will help build you up that will talk about how the brain works, how you can get goals, you know, things like Daniel Kahneman's book, things like Ben Hardy's book that works on yourself because leadership is how you show up. It isn't based on a strategy, a tactic. People will see right through that. It's based on who you are. And the most important thing you can do is invest in and change yourself and be open to that. Be open to saying, and I remember when I made the commitment like over a decade ago, I'm like, I will change anything and everything about myself. If it can get a better result nothing was off the table and that's free because I was more than my behaviors you know you know that because you come into the world with very few neural patterns built you build them and you still existed so it's the same thing now we just have to work with a different part of our system to get that neural plasticity going because now we've got this conscious brain that filters things you know, that filters things it can only hold finite things and it's matching for what's down here And it won't even let something get down here if it doesn't match. So you got to wait and bypass it and really work with the bigger system, the stronger system.
0: Wow, fantastic. Such a great message. Thank you. Thank you, Dr. Susie, so much for spending this time with us and sharing us with all all the great concepts that you have. What is the best way for our listeners to connect with you and find out more about the the Thrive program and and the the options that you have available for training?
1: Sure, absolutely. Locus Mindset, L-O-C-U-S mindset.com and a lot of free stuff on there a lot of fun stuff on there research and resources but there's a course the thrive course and it's i think you can access it you just click, get a locust mindset or it's midway down the page this is a very good course it is it gives you everything you need there's nothing held back it teaches the thrive framework it explains the compass and the magnet and it gives you a practice you can use every day five minutes a day you never need to come back to me for more you can just literally implement that it's a lifelong thing And I can't make any guarantees, right? Any income or any, you might not see any results, but I can tell you, I've done a focus group and the people that have done it now, over hundred people, probably pushing 250, have just said, wow, we can't believe how seamless this feels. Like we're actually feeling and getting change because again, you're not fighting. You're not just trying to use willpower till a habit kicks in. They just, they literally shift how they feel. So it's simple and it's the supercharge of six systems. So it works because it doesn't just rely on one. Um, and it's just done at a very specific time. So that would be the very best way. And you can also, you know, contact me through the site. But yeah, locus mindset. I just, I want everyone, if someone had come to me 10 years ago and said, Susie, I can explain to you what's going on here and I can give you a tool that you can use to get change. I would have said thank you, rather than just kind of hunt and pack and experiment and be in talk therapy and think, gosh, why aren't we solving anything? And leaders business people, lawyers, they want things resolved. They want solutions. It's great to know the theory. You'll get all that, but you'll get a solution.
0: I love it. Awesome. Go find out more at locustmindset.com. Dr. Susie, again, thank you so much for being here.
1: Thank you so much, John. This was great.
0: Awesome. And thank you all for listening. Until next time, develop yourself, empower others, and lead by example. Thanks for listening to Key Conversations for Leaders with your host, John Ryan. If you enjoyed the show, please let us know. Give us a rating or write a review. If you have a question, send me an email, john at keyconvo.com. And if you haven't already, you can connect with me on Twitter at keyconvo or on LinkedIn under John Ryan Leadership.